0: Good morning, Liberty. You guys are getting bigger every time I come back here. Pretty soon they're only going to be able to use this place for basketball because there's going to be too many of you to fit in here. Since the movie came out, people keep asking me why the Waurani killed my dad and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim. And You know, there's kind of a long answer of things that were going on in the tribe, but why don't I just give you the real answer, what I think the answer really is. I think that God planned my dad's death and the death of his friends. My dad thought that he had been called to reach the Waurani with the gospel message. I don't think that that was God's plan, looking back at it from 50 years later. I think that God used my dad and his four friends to go and plan their death to wake up a church in North America that had become apathetic to his children going into a Christless eternity and people that had grown deaf to the Macedonian call. Unfortunately, I think we're back in that same or similar situation now and the reason that I accepted Don's request that I come here and speak to you is that I think that you're the generation that will make that difference. I think you're the ones that can turn missions into what it should be. Our generation has tried, but we have made some mistakes that I'm hoping that you'll correct. God had other plans for the Waurani, it seems. My aunt from the time she was a young girl, teenager, about 16, said that God gave her a vision that one day if she would be faithful to him, he would allow her to take his word, not as her work, but as her reward for having been faithful in other times during her life, that he would allow her to take his word to a people who had never heard. When she was on her way down to Peru to do a a missionary stint down there, she stopped by to visit my mom and dad, and dad took her flying out in the jungles, but there was one part of the jungles that he wouldn't fly over, and uh, Aunt Rachel said, Kelly, why won't you fly over this one part of jungles? And so my dad told told her about this extremely violent group of people that lived in that territory, and he said, Sis, if we had an accident or if we had to make a forced landing there, these people would surely kill us. They'd kill everybody coming into their territory. My aunt told me later that she knew from that minute on, she knew that that was the people that God had promised that she could take his word to. And she was so sure of it that my dad, feeling God's call for he and his friends to take the gospel to the Waurani, he wouldn't tell my aunt that God had called them to do it. Now, if you stop the story right there, it would seem like somebody isn't hearing God. But God writes fantastic stories. And as it turns out, I'm sure that God's plan was that he would use those five seeds that he planted out there in the Amazon jungle. And I can tell you that that was a devastating happening for me because everything in my little boy world revolved around my dad when I was just a little boy. When my mom took me into a room and told me that my dad was never coming home to live with us again, I thought that life was over. But that was only the first chapter. In the next chapter, my Aunt Rachel did go in to live with these people, and they didn't kill her. And then just a short while later, my Aunt talked to my mom, in one of those times of um, temporary insanity, to, to let me go live with her with these people. Now, people ask me, weren't you afraid to go in and live with them, these people who had killed your dad just a few years before? But look at it from my standpoint. My dad knew that there was a chance that he would be killed, he and his friends, and yet they were willing to go and give their lives, if it was necessary, to take the gospel to these people that were in the path of the oil companies moving in and were in danger of being wiped out. And then, every night we would get together, my mom would pray for these people that had killed my dad. Never did I ever sense any resentment on the part of my mother. And then my aunt couldn't wait to go in and try to live with them herself, and I expected that she would be killed too. So by the time it was my turn to go, I knew that these had to be the most special people in the whole world. I couldn't wait to meet them. I had a little surprise though when I got there, they didn't rush to me. Apparently when I got out with clothes on, they were they couldn't tell what I was. I was almost as tall as some of the adults, and uh, but I didn't have any obvious anatomy to show them which gender I was. So finally they took an old grandmother and sent her over to check me out, and she came over and patted me down pretty good. Finally she couldn't figure out, if you watched the movie, this is really true. Finally she pulled my pants out and looked down inside, and and then everybody laughed, and that was really intimidating. (laughs) And then they accepted me, and... uh, One of the men in the tribe, a warrior there, took me into his home and adopted me and treated me like one of his own sons. I didn't know at that point that he was one of the men that had killed my dad and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim. In fact, I didn't find out until just a few years ago that he was, I'm quite sure, the, the warrior who finally drove a spear through my dad's head and slashed his face with a machete to kill him. When I was 13, I was back out in the jungles, and uh, they had a baptismal service because some of these people had become God followers, and I felt it was time for me to go apanigie, as they say, because our hearts being dark with sin, we need to show when we begin to walk God's trail, we need to show that we've been cleaned and washed. And so they took me apanigie. Now I have people come to me all the time and say, "Is it true that you baptized the men that killed your father?" That would, that would make a great story, wouldn't it? No. No, I didn't teach them to walk God's trail. They taught me to walk God's trail. They're the ones that took me up But you know what? I discovered when my Aunt Rachel died in 1994, I discovered that, that we, in going to plant the church of Christ, as he had called us to do, we had made some, some really serious mistakes and Minkai, grandfather Minkai, who's going to speak to you in just a few minutes, he came to me with some of my tribal family and they said, "Babe, doesn't God's carving say that all God followers should teach other people to walk his trail? And I said, oh, yes, that's true. And they said, what about us? And I said, you too. And they said, then why do the foreigners keep coming and doing and doing for us, but they never teach us to do? And they said, we say now, just like... When you came down here, you were totally ignorant as a boy. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't hunt with the blowgun. You couldn't make poison, put on the darts. You didn't know how to make darts. They said, you would have just died if we hadn't taught you how to live. And then they said, now we say, you coming down here, you teach us now to do the things that the foreigners do so we can teach our people to walk God's trail. I said, like, what? They said, we want to do the tooth thing. And we want to be able to fix the people's bong, their meat, their bodies when they're hurting. And they said, and we want to do the Ibo thing, the the would-be thing, the uh, airplane thing, so we can go fast from place to place like your father did and like you did. And I wish I could show you that little video, uh, but we're going to be out of time, so I won't. But but you know what? They had to ask me to go down there because we hadn't been doing what we should have been doing in discipling them because they're call of the Great Commission is the same as our call. But you know what? Just a few years later in 97, I had to ask Grandfather Minkai to come up here to teach us how to live well and in peace. Because some students went into Columbine and began to shoot other students ononki for no reason. And then Paducah, Kentucky. And I haven't dared to tell Grandfather Minkai what has just happened at Northern Illinois University. It breaks his heart. To think that the people that have had God's carvings forever almost still are not reading it and understanding it. Before Grandfather comes to speak to you, I think that I owe it to you to tell you what the condition is of our church in North America as I see it. You want the good news or the bad news first? Bad news first, okay the bad news is that we are no longer the center of christianity it has moved south and we are not the most passionate carriers of the gospel we have lost momentum here it has moved far east we have grown deaf again to the macedonian call do you realize that the united states today is the third or fourth largest missionary receiving country in the world more missionaries are coming from other countries to the united states than all but two or three other countries in the world and yet we still feel like the gospel the great commission is from the west to the rest when i ask people who are sending missionaries to north america from africa and from south america and ask them why are you sending missionaries here you know what they say we love you people and we don't want you to become the next europe and that's exactly where we're headed those countries that took the gospel to the world before we became passionate about it are now the most secular place on earth and that's happening right here in our country and i'm not telling you that to make you feel bad i'm telling you that because you are the hope For the future of gospel export in North America. Now let me give you the good news. The good news is that every time I ask my brothers and sisters overseas if there still is a role for North America to play, they always say yes. They always say yes, there is a role. But it's not usually the role that you've been playing. And when I ask them, what do you want us to do? They say, you are the most creative people on earth. We don't need you to come and do and do for us. We need you to come and help us figure out how we can do what God has called us to. Will you come and be our brothers and sisters? Will you come and live with us? Will you partner with us, not lording it over us, but being our true brothers and sisters? Will you come and live with us? Will you come and listen to us? And will you come and help us figure out how we can carry out Christ's commission? On Sunday, Jonathan read a verse from Micah 6.8 that I think is pertinent. It says, this is what God has called us to. He has called us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before God. My younger brothers and sisters, please, I beg you, you be to the generation of North America that will walk humbly before God and will go help our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world to learn to do what God has called them to do. Because missions is not about It's not about us recruiting God to help us in what we want to do for him. It's about him condescending to use us. And don't be misled. God doesn't need us. The God of the universe who created everything, of which our earth is just a little tiny speck of dust, if he could create all of this with the power of his word, do you really believe that he needs us? I don't think so. I think that God wants to use you and me, not because He needs us, but because He knows that we need Him to need us so that we can find significance in life. Missions is not about making people like us, it's about giving them an opportunity to be like Jesus, our Savior. Missions is not about feeling good or doing what's convenient. It's accepting the extreme call to a radical life following a revolutionary leader. It is not staying in our comfort zone. It's about pulling out all the stops. It's counting what the world says is loss. It's about counting that as gain. It's about submitting our wills to God's will and leaving the results to Him. If you don't believe that God can use anybody then I shouldn't be here. And now I want to introduce a further proof that God can use anybody. I'd like to introduce to you one of my dearest friends in the whole world. This is the man who killed my father and then adopted me. He is a faithful God follower. He loves me and he loves mine and we love him. We are truly family. Somebody came up in the motel this morning and said, I knew that you traveled together, but when I saw you and your wife adjusting his shirt and fixing his uh, baga, we, we wear these because these signify life, he said, that meant more to me than anything that you said. I didn't realize that you all really were this close. I thought you should see us, Ginny and uh, Ompore over there, Minkai's wife, Otter, and my wife, Ginny. Can you just wave? Wait. Well, When we travel we all stay in the same room <laughs> because grandfather Nompore don't know how to do the bathroom thing and it's really a lot more fun watching television when you can hear minkai's commentary <laughs> <laughs> I woke up this mo- yesterday morning very very early because somebody left the television on in the room next door and then the alarm started going off I thought that was happening again this morning when I woke up and I heard this low rumble at about 5.15 this morning, but it wasn't the television next door. It was Grandfather Minkai was praying for you. Seven o'clock I woke up and I heard the same rumble. He was still praying for you and for his people and that God would allow us to teach you his carving so that he can go back to the jungles. Now, when we think of the Great Commission... We usually think of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, but I want to take you to a different verse as the basis for what grandfather is going to say to you, and I'm not sure exactly what he's going to say. I'm going to translate whatever it is, but in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, it says if any man is in Christ, he's a what? Grandfather and I were traveling with Stephen Curtis Chapman a few years ago, and a A journalist from USA Today wanted to interview us, but first he wanted to interview me to see if he really wanted to interview us. And he said, I understand that you know the people who killed your father. And I said, I do. And he said, I understand that you're traveling with a man from the Amazon, but he's not a member of that tribe, is he? And I said, yes, he is. And they said, but he's not one of them, is he? I said, one of who is he? He said, he's not one of those actual people who killed your father. And I said, yes, he is. And he said, "You don't share a room, do you?" I said, "Yeah, because he hasn't learned how to use the He hasn't learned how to use the plastic thing." Grandfather tried to learn how to use money. One day he got pretty upset. He'd gone over to the concession stand and tried to buy a Coca-Cola with a green church bulletin. So I showed him the green paper with the king's picture in the middle. I said, it has to have the king's picture in it. The next day, he came over. He had gone over to the same concession stand, and he got a Coke. I had given him a dollar. And he came back, and he said, do you see that foreigner over there? I see him very well. I said, why? He said, look, I gave him the paper with the Owen's picture on it, the, the king's picture. And look, he gave me a Coke. And I said, that's what he's supposed to do. And he said, yeah, but look at all this paper that he gave me. And he had 20s and 10s and 5s. And I thought we are going to jail now." <laughs> I was sure when the cash register had opened, he thought that guy shouldn't have so much paper when I have none, so he had taken some. So I went over there and I said, sir, my friend isn't from around here, in case you hadn't noticed. He, he doesn't have his earplugs in this morning, but he had his headdress on. And, and I said, he gave you a dollar and you gave him a Coke, but I don't know where he got all this money. And he said, no, he gave me a hundred dollar bill. I said, grandfather, where did you get that, that paper that you gave to him? He said, you remember that big fat lady that grabbed me and took my necklace and gave me, this woman just couldn't stand it, she, she grabbed him and hugged him and she was a lot bigger. I thought he was going to suffocate. <laughs> and when she was done with him, instead of a t- pig tooth necklace, he had a big string of pearls, <laughs> which he wanted to wear the next day. So I told him, you remember what happened to me when I first went into the jungles and Mimo came over and pulled out my... That's what they're going to do to you because only the girl ones wear this kind of necklace. (laughs) I told the journalist, yes, we have to share a room. And then finally he said, but they told me that you love him. And I said, it's true. And there was a long pause, and then he said, that's not right. That's morbid. That's unnatural. And then I realized that I had misled this journalist because he asked me if this was the same man who killed my father. And I would said, yes. He isn't. It says here, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And then it says, all this happens... Because God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It says here, it's as though we are ambassadors for Christ. It's as though the God of the universe is calling us to go out as his representatives to tell the world that he loves them. Let me read it to you from a little different version. I said, I'm just going to read them this. And then you talk to them. It says here, this is the Jesus book. This is a Wycliffe translation in Hawaiian Pigeon, which... How many of you speak Hawaiian Pigeon? Yeah, more of you do than you think. This is... This is the Jar Jar Binks Bible. It says here in number two for the Corinth people, that's why whoever stay tight with Christ, they one new kind of guy... The old things no stay no more. Look the new things when come. All that stuff come from God because he would bring us back the same side with him because of what Christ went do. And now he tell us for go work so the other people can come back the same side with him too. Because we the talk of guys for Christ. So we tell all the world that God stay begging them for come back because we Christ guys. And so we say to the world, hey you guys, come on back the same side with God. a long time ago I wasn't a coming after one I wasn't a God follower
1: how could I be a God follower nobody had
0: ever taught me about this trail I had never seen it but when I heard about this trail, I looked and I tried to see it, but my heart being dark, I still couldn't see it. I knew that Wangungi, the Creator, had said, I had just learned that He had said that I should walk His trail, but I couldn't see it.
1: But when I heard about this trail, I
0: Wangungi the creator's father living in heaven he knew that we didn't know nobody down here knew how to really walk his trail that's why he sent Itota his own son to come and mark the trail for us I myself was like everybody else once was I was dark and my heart was dark and so I couldn't see clearly this trail that you have to see with your heart
1: I, was,
0: I am a true person being, and I wanted to go live in, in the Creator's place, and then I found out that you can only get there by this one trail, and so I really wanted to follow this trail. <laughs>
1: the
0: He said, I realized that my heart was being dark like my shirt, like my cloth. It was being dark, and I didn't know how to get it clean. And then I realized that I can't clean it. Wangi sent his son with his own powerful blood, like you use soap to clean your cloth, God used his son's blood to wash my heart clean. He said, washing my heart, God made it wa-atamo. Wa is the word for good, and if you carry it out, it becomes better and better. Wa-atamo. Wa-atamo is is like the sky when it has no clouds and it. it's completely clear. And he said, "The Holy Spirit coming with Jesus' blood, He washed my heart." Wa atamo.
1: Boso miniti miniti amopa. Ponera mai mini, Hango miniti miniti apeni min. Hango mina kan tamai miniti mina wai baate. Miniti on wa ju mo 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 apeni goi amopa.
0: He said if God has washed your heart clean like he has done mine then he has called us to go not to just one place but wayuma 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 from place to place wherever people don't know that the king loves them that he's keeping them in his mind that's where he's told us we have to go to tell other people <laughs> You know what, Grandfather could tell you more about, he was going to start explaining how many places there are in the world, and Grandfather's been more places probably than you have, but you know what, we've got a little video uh, that I'd like to show you that I think will encourage you. Grandfather, Minkai, has not only come up here to speak to you, but we've been to Europe twice, We've been to Panama when we were making the movie. He went up there to, to help them get it right so that the Emberá Indians could actually act like Waudani. And then we got an invitation to go to India because some pastors over there were being persecuted trying to plant Christian churches in staunchly Hindu areas, and they wanted Grandfather to come teach them how to do dentistry as a door opener to the gospel. I explained to them that that was impossible until somebody who didn't know it was impossible, sent his passport to the Indian embassy, and they gave him a visa. So we went to India. We call this little video before and after, and then we'll wrap up.
2: The people who speared his father to death when he was just a boy asked Steve Saint to return to the Amazon jungle to live with them as a man. Masters of their own world, they wanted to learn skills from the outside world that would enable them to care for their own needs and the needs of their people. Joining the Space Age with the Stone Age is not easy. With two radios for telephones and the Amazon's grocery meat department running wild, there were major adjustments to be made on both sides of this experiment. But to Grandfather Minkai and the Wildani God followers, the saints were family. They wanted to help their own people, and they wanted Steve to train them to be able to help them. On the opposite side of the world, other God followers heard that the Wildani had learned to fix and extract teeth. Pastors in India wanted to learn these skills so they could show their own people God's compassion for both their felt needs as well as their spiritual hurts. So I Tech in a church in Louisville sent a training team. Training began with anatomy, bone, tooth and nerve structure, and even blood supply. Then the pastors began with hands-on training, learning sterilization and giving each other shots of anesthesia Before even learning how to set up the ITEC equipment that they would be using, the reaction in rural towns was incredible. Communities that had persecuted and even killed one of these Christian pastors now welcomed them with open arms. People turned out in mass to celebrate their first ever dental clinics. There was a special element in this ITEC training course. With no healthcare experience, the Indian pastors were skeptical that they could learn critical dental skills in just 10 days. So they contacted Steve and asked him to bring Grandfather Minkai with the team. If Minkai could learn to do this, they believed they could too. But Minkai hesitated to interfere until two trainees began working on a woman who really needed oral surgery. Not even our training dentist wanted to do this one. An infected tooth had eaten into this woman's jawbone, and there was a good chance it would be broken in the process of the extraction. Now Minkai went to work like an old pro, decisive but extremely gentle. Steve held the light and we all prayed. We wondered that day what these people would have done if things would have went wrong. But they didn't. Minkai pulled that impacted tooth without even breaking a root. Minkai wasn't done. He knew this woman had a problem much more serious than just a bad tooth. He thanked Wainuni for allowing him to pull her tooth and then asked the Creator to clean her heart so she could see his very good trail. In review of the day, Steve wrote in his journal, I looked at Minkai's gentle hands and realized, these are the same hands that once drove spears into my dad's precious body. My dad died for those hands. As Aslan said in the Chronicles of Narnia, when a willing victim dies in a traitor's stead, death really does work backwards you too can use your hands to turn death into life we at iTech would like to show you how you can become part of the IDENT training program training indigenous people basic life-saving dental skills as a door opener for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ
0: if you saw Minkai acting up a little bit when he was watching the video as soon as we came back from India he grabbed my wife Jenny and said The India place food not being good it is. (laughs) He grew up in a culture that has no spices, didn't even have salt, um, and we ate curry almost every day. So (laughs) he said, if I go back there, I want to take plantains and manioc with me. I was down in the jungles just a, a year ago, and I heard a challenge from a Tikuna tribesman. There were 45 tribes gathered, and I'd like to pass on Elie Tikkunah's challenge to you students here today. He asked in this group, assembled about 2,500 people from all over the Amazon jungles. He said, I want you people who are Tikkunah to stand up. And they did, and he said, do you remember what the missionaries told us? They told us not to beat our drums because we used to beat our drums to call the evil spirits. And then they told us not to dance because we danced to, to appease the evil spirits. And then they told us not to sing our songs because our songs bragged about us and our songs should only be about God. And he said, they brought us the gospel with their culture, but we needed the gospel in our culture. And he said, now I say to you, Tikkunah, when you go out to teach people God's carvings, Don't try to make them tikkunah. God has not called us to make people tikkunah. He has called us to make people like his son, Jesus. Young people, when you go out or when you stay here and send others out, don't try to make people like us in North America. That is not God's call. And then Elise said... My brothers and sisters who are tikuna, those of you who are standing, if we are going to reach the people in our world for Christ, we have to be willing to suffer. How many of you are willing to suffer? And a bunch of them sat down, but some of them stood standing. And then he said, and we have to be willing to die. How many of you are willing to die to take this message to other people like us in the Amazon? It's time that we reacquainted ourselves with the value of suffering. It's time that we made the answer to this extreme call to a radical life. Not for our good, but for the world's good. I'd just like to ask you students, don't do it for the people around you. But are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to die for this gospel? God won't call many of you to do it, but but we have to be willing. This isn't a cushy thing. We've made it into that. It is not a spectator sport. Are there any of you here this morning that really, really either are willing to or want to be willing to? Would you stand with me? And I have another challenge. This one is mine to you. The North American way has become we write our story and we ask God to edit it when it gets a little bit out of whack. That is not what the book says God has offered to do. It says that he wants to write our story. I dare you to stand up if you're willing to let God write your story and let him make sense of it. Not all the chapters will be easy. What he promises, though, is that in the last chapter, if not before, that's when he'll make sense of it. Will you let God write your story? All right. Let's let God write the story and let's wait for the last chapter. Maninke Idawa.